Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Melius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Barbara Davis. After years in the jewelry business, Barbara finally surrendered to the muse, leaving the corporate world in order to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming a writer. She was born in New Jersey, has lived in Charleston, Raleigh, and Dover, New Hampshire, and has most recently moved back to Florida to be close to her first love, Mickey Mouse. When she's not writing, Barbara is a voracious reader, foodie, and lover of music, a rabid football fan, and a devoted Florida Gator. She also enjoys traveling with the hubby Tom, who over the years has learned much more about publishing and the craft of writing than he ever wanted to know. Let's dive into the pond and meet Barbara. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Barbara Davis. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I am so glad you're here. And I would love for you to start with how did you get into writing? I have I've written all my life. Um, when I was a very, a very young, like probably seven or eight, I was out for a walk with my grandfather and I was, it, the wind was blowing and I was watching the leaves through the trees and I realized I was describing it in my head in prose, which is sort of a weird thing for a seven-year-old to do. And I knew that was, I knew it wasn't normal, but it was just, I, it was like uh, a kid's eyes just always been a reader. Uh, so uh, shortly thereafter, I announced my, you know, I was going to be a writer and uh, my family thought that was so cute, but I was dead serious. So I started writing, you know, the little things kids write. And I wrote all through school and high school, took every writing class I could uh, in, in college, took writing classes, was very encouraged to continue. And then lo and behold, you graduate and you have to make a living. So you go and get a real job and then the writing goes on the back burner. So I didn't write for years, like probably 30 years other than business um, training and motivational kinds of things. Uh, and then I was in the jewelry business and I got laid off. And about four years prior to that, I, out of the blue, which is how all my ideas come to me, an idea for a book landed in my head. And I was like, whoa, what was that? But it was there and for four years, it percolated. So I would just jump in, make little notes in my computer and then jump out and leave it there. And I just occasionally would bring it up to my husband. And then lo and behold, the great recession came, which wasn't so great for me because I got laid off. They closed a bunch of stores and I was geographically unnecessary. And I was terrified because nobody's hiring, everybody's firing at that point, everybody's scaling back. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? So my husband said, you know what? You've had an idea for a book in your head for four years. Don't go back to work, stay home, chase your dream, and I'll carry the ball. So that's what I did. And the rest is history. It just, it just worked out. You know, I was a 50 year old overnight success. I saw, I signed my first book deal on my 50th birthday. So it's never, I, you're never, you are never too old to, to be what you are meant to be. Oh my gosh. I love 
so many things about that. And the first thing I would love for you to expound upon is the fact that I love that you had such a strong support with your husband. And I mean, just the fact that there's somebody else saying, I believe in you and I believe in what you're, you're capable of. And I encourage you to pursue that. And, and that's how my husband is too. I realize not everyone has that type of support or that encouragement, but how might you, what would you suggest to someone who needs to, who wants to cultivate more of that into their world? How do you suggest that they reach out and, and you create know, their own, it, their own uh, you know, family of writers or supporters it, like that? I, I've, I'm so glad my first marriage, my first husband was definitely not supportive. Uh, he was the guy, like you get a real job, you bring in real money and you earn your keep, um, which was always a point of contention. Cause I knew this was what I eventually wanted to do, but I, the opportunity was just kind of not going to happen. So when he said my, this husband, the one the keeper that I have now, we've been together 22 years. And when he said that, I was like, are you, I was stunned. It was so different from, you know, what I had experienced before. And I said, are you sure? Like, you know, everything that we, all of our bills, everything is predicated on both our incomes. And he said, we'll figure it out. You want to do this. And he said, you've been successful at everything else you've ever done. And I believe you will be successful in this too. So just go chase your dream. So he really was wonderful at several times when you're starting to doubt yourself and you're like, I don't know if I can finish this book. I don't know what I'm doing. I would say, maybe I should go just go get a job or, you know, you're seeing the bills come in and the savings go down. And I would say, should I, is it time for me to start thinking about going back to work? He said, you have a job. Your job is to write a book and get it published. That's your job and you're doing your job. So there's no, I don't think there's any ex, ex, exchange for that. I don't think if you don't have that in your life, I don't think you can go out and find someone like that. What you can do is make yourself very clear in any relationship, either a new relationship or when you decide that this is what you want to do, you kind of have to set some boundaries around it and say, maybe you don't understand this and what I'm doing or why I'm doing it, but this is who I am. And it's part, it's, uh, it's part of the package because it's a, it's a weird, you know, we go off by ourselves and we talk to ourselves and we're, a little, you know, we're a little different than regular people, <laughs> not always in a good way. We're moody, we're cranky. We wake up in the middle of the night and flip the light on and start jotting things down. So it's, it's, um, you know, we're not always like other people. And I think it's, I think it's very important for you to honor that about yourself. And a great way to honor that is to set boundaries around those behaviors that this is who I am. This is what, what my world is like. And you, I would love for you to be part of that. Um, And if you can't, be part of that then you know you you have to decide and I found it the hard way the first time by having someone who didn't want to be part of that rather than just like letting me have that by myself and not being part of it he just wanted me to stop being that and I did for a long time which is why I didn't start you know really writing until I was 50 
So if you have someone who's not supportive um, or or just not like a cheerleader, there's all levels of how supportive people are. People don't get always what what you need. And sometimes we don't even know. But I think another thing that you can do is to find a really supportive group of writers. I mean, I cannot, because they get us, even if they're, habits and their quirks are different than ours and their process is different than ours. There is nothing like somebody who's been there to um, say, oh my God, I've been through the same thing. It's going to pass. You will get through this. You will wake up one day and boom, it will be there. Just someone who doesn't think you're crazy <laughs> when you are in fact going crazy. Um, I, I joined a, uh, a writer's group through a meetup because I just didn't know how to get support. And I joined a great big group that was overwhelming. There were just so many people, but little by little, we found our, our, our writing soulmates and there were four of us and we built a smaller group and we met once, uh, once a week and just, just for like an hour, an hour and a half and just either bounced ideas or whatever. And, just that out it's so uplifting to to not only to to be helped but to help other people because i and i'm a firm believer we teach what we need to learn and i think we learn to be better writers by helping other writers be better writers i love so many things that you have said in this the fact that the fact that you know when you might be getting in your head about other pieces if writing is what you want to do if if you want to be a writer as that's your business then showing up and writing is part of your job and I love how you said that and it is about setting boundaries it's even the boundaries to yourself to say okay I need I'm going to carve out this time my writing time here and I'm honoring it for myself just as much as I need other people to yeah. but but the fact that if it can feel to your point a little bit, you know, you can feel like you're in this corner by yourself. You're, you're isolated awesome. in a sense because you're in your idea, you're in your head. But then when you can be a part of a group in some way, and I love that you said writing soulmates, I'd love for you to, how do you know when you found a writing soulmate? The same way, you know, when you find your, your life soulmate, there's a, there's a click, there's, you get each other. Um, there's just like, you know, it's it's like in a in a romance when you know it's going to work. You can complete each other's sentences, and and the other thing is you can say what you need to say to them, and they don't freak out. You know, you just know how to connect with them to to get them to what they they're not seeing, and they can do the same thing for you. And nobody walks away with hurt feelings because there's a a sense of of holding each other up. And I, that is so, so important because it, this is such a solitary thing. You can't talk to someone who, you know, my husband is a watchmaker jeweler. So when I try to explain to him where I am, why I'm stuck, why I can't do, you know, he says, oh, just write, just, just move past that and write the other part. And I'm like, but this part informs that part. I have to go and explain to him, okay, if you're setting a stone in a ring, you know, and I have to like put it into his terms because it's such an, it's, it's so different from what other people do because you do it up here, not in here or out there. 
Um, and I think when you meet somebody who gets that, that, that click is there. And you also know when you, when you meet someone who doesn't work with you, they, they, they want to make your writing like their writing. They don't honor your voice or they don't honor your, I, your story idea. But when you find the right person or people group, it was just the four of us and it, we didn't want it any bigger than that. It was just, it was a nice and intimate. Um, and we could just tell each other, you know what, you're doing it again. You're avoiding conflict in the book because you don't like conflict in your life and you're going to have to have this fight on paper. You don't have to have it in your real life, but you do have to have this fight on paper. You can't keep letting her walk away, you know, and when you uh, have that intimacy, that level of intimacy with, with fellow writers, you can say that and nobody walks away thinking, well, she thinks she knows everything, you know, and then they say the same thing to me and I go home and say, you know what, they're right. I'm doing it again. You know, so, um, it's like it's like any other relationship you you develop a pattern and you learn to read each other and to know when to step in when to pull back and you know so to carry with that theme the same elements that you're talking about with the boundaries understanding your voice understanding what what you need being able to articulate that and and finding that those matches that applies when you're finding your editor, when you're finding a formatter or a cover yeah. designer or a publisher. Yeah. I mean, it really fits in Agent. every facet of the journey Agent. that you're on. Yep. Oh, it's I love very, that. It, yeah, it's um, same thing with my agent. I met my agent in what, the second week into that big book group. Um, I had, ter I was terrifyingly enough, I submitted my first two chapters for critique and I was terrified that they were going to tell me to go to Taco Bell and get an application because they were hiring. And I thought, well, this is it. This is when they tell me I'm no good. So I was like literally sick to my stomach going to this meeting. And there was a woman sitting across from me. Um, you know, and we, she didn't, she just said her name and she said, I'm just here to observe. And I thought that was very strange, but you know, maybe she was trying to, you know, we're all very private and afraid sometimes to share. So whatever. So we went around, we spent like two hours taking apart my chapters. Luckily, the feedback was very good. And at the end of the meeting, she, I was walking out, she tapped me on the shoulder, introduced herself and said, I am Nalinia Kolakar. I'm with Spencer Hill Associates. And I love what I've heard. And I would really love to read some more of your stuff with an eye to representing you if you're looking for representation. And I was like, do what now? <laughs> I've been doing this for six weeks. What's happening? Um, and we just hit it off. We, it, it, you know, it's just, again, it's just one of those relationships. And then when I walked out the door, I'm a big believer in manifesting your dreams and, uh, you know, that the universe puts in front of you what you're supposed to, the path you're supposed to walk. And if you're paying attention, it's there. So I walk out of the, of the thing, like I'm still stunned. I get in my car and I'm waiting to pull out of the parking lot. And in front of me, this big Mercedes pulls out in front of me with a license plate that said, think big. And I was like, oh, this is just too weird. So I drive home, my husband's doing the taxes. He's got the taxes all over the table. And I said, get up, we're going to get champagne. And he's like, why? And I said, I think I have an agent. He said, where did you go? I said, books a million. I went to books a million and we had a, we had a book 
book meeting and I met, I think I met my agent. So it's, again, it's just those, those little clicks that you just, you just know. And she's been, we've been together 10 years, almost 11 years now. And it's just a wonderful relationship. Oh my gosh. And when you were alluding to, you're getting ready to lead into how the, the universe, you were feeling like the universe and the men, when you said all of that, actually right before that I was thinking what ran through my mind was the divine breadcrumbs that you were trusting that inner knowing and that's something that you know when you're writing you do do that a lot when you're writing when you're feeling your way through a story even if you start to kind of get a little in your head but the other parts of that is continue to trust that those voices that voice inside that still voice inside that's guiding you to help you get to that next step because you know, it was another stepping stone. It was a divine breadcrumb, so to speak, but you were also open to seeing where that was taking you. And well, it's, I love that. It's funny about the open thing because I was actually terrified and tried to talk myself out of going to that meeting. And my husband said, you are going, you, this is what you wanted to do. And now you're, you know, you, this is part of the deal and you're going to go and you're going to find out what else you need to do, what the next step is. So I, I went and there it was, but again, like you said, with the divine breadcrumbs, they're, they're not always in your head. Sometimes you have to pick your head up and look out and it's not, I mean, we're as writers, we're, we're always, we're inside, we're in the house, we're in our office, we're, you know, and we're in our heads. And sometimes you do have to get up and go out mm-hmm. and wait for something to clunk you in the head and go aha and I sometimes I realize that all of a sudden it's like no wonder nothing fresh is happening I haven't been out of this room in five days and then you go out into the world and miraculously there's you hear a snippet you see a character you see a headline but you sometimes you just have to pick your head up and and kind of look out a little bit too I can't tell you how many times that has happened to me where I am driving and something hits and I, yeah. And so I will put my phone on record and I'm like, okay, this is what is hitting, bup, 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 and rattle it off. Even yep. if it is as disjointed, even what comes through or what I am articulating in my phone feels extremely like disjointed or what, I have no idea what I'm going to do with but this. But it's there for a reason. So you just yep. capture that nugget right now and believe it or not, in a few days, something else is going to come into your path that yeah. it's good. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I had for my sixth book, I, I had always wanted to write a book set on, on a lavender farm because uh, that's just my jam, but I didn't have a story. I just had that setting and I didn't know what it was going to be. So it was just kind of back there simmering. And one day I get a lot of ideas when I'm driving. One day I was driving and I was listening. I put a a CD in, Seven Mary Three, and a song came on called Water's Edge. And it's about a young man who, when he was younger, witnessed a murder and he didn't speak out. He didn't do anything to stop it. So all these years later, he's still haunted by this. And I'm there listening to the song and I'm like, oh my gosh, there it is. You turn. And I went right back home, legal pad. And I had the whole plot of the book in, in, in two hours, I had the whole thing. 
but be, because I had this nugget over here just kind of simmering and then I went out into the world plugged a CD in, and boom there was the other nugget just waiting to be discovered but if I hadn't gotten in my car I wouldn't have gotten that nugget it wouldn't have come to me in my in my office but your point about staying open to that and and writing that down like I mean to your point we can talk ourselves out of those like to your point about going to the books a million and oh, should I uh, no mm -hmm. you really ought to go again a cheerleader helped with that but on the other side to that you also knew it just needed the yeah okay yeah. this is the right thing and when so if you are talking to a writer who is maybe they're a little bit in their head whether it's is this the right storyline that I'm following or is uh, is this the right path for me to take? Meaning, is this the right agent or is this the right uh, traditional? Do I do traditional versus self-published? But they're a bit in their head for whatever that is. Do you have some words of wisdom or some tips and guidance to kind of help them kind of get out of that and be able to make that decision, whatever that is for themselves? I think because we as writers are so much in our heads, I think we overthink a lot of stuff. We're always like trying to, okay, so what's the next plot point? What's the net, what, what's next? What's that? We try to see the whole thing all the way out. You know, we like the nice bullet pointed storyline and, you know, in real life, it would be nice if we could see the whole bullet pointed storyline. It's like, if I sign with this agent in 10 years, I'll have 10 books out and I'll have won this award and I'll have gotten this many notes. And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And the biggest thing I can tell you is for me, my gut, in my gut, I know. And it's every time I have talked myself out of what my gut told me, I wind up you turning and doing that anyway. So I think, I think, I think there's a wise woman or wise man inside all of us. And we tend to shout them down because what they're telling us to do is scary. <laughs> we we have to step off of a cliff, you know, and hope that we earn our wings on the way down. But we do. We do. And you know what? The other thing is, if you get it wrong the first time, course correct. But do something. You can't, you, no book was ever written in someone's head, ever, ever. At some point, you have to put the pen down on the paper and or your fingers on the keys and make something happen it's the same thing in choosing an agent if it doesn't work out find another agent if it if you're not happy with your publisher change publishers i did um but do something take a step in faith and you and, and then use the feedback you get and you'll know pretty quickly if it's the wrong way and then you make the u-turn or you just you, you tweak until you get right but do something. Don't do nothing because that's the path to staying stuck. Yeah, that is so, so true. I so love this conversation. I mean, it's just, it's another way of looking at I am too, but what I'm, I mean, really, this is just another way of looking at the craft, but it's not in so it's not about necessarily the technical way of looking at the craft. It's really about how do you want to be in your business as an author? How do you want to show up for your, for your books? Because when you've got that, when you're coming back to that and when you're honoring that, 
that guidance comes through that that sense of you is coming through any piece that you write it comes through in your businesses it, your business it will help you to discern is this the right podcast to be on or pitch is this the right book event to go to or not is this another way uh, you know is this storyline you know the right storyline for me or is it one of those of uh, maybe but I don't know if it's time for that yet you know you you'll trust yourself more because you're following that that wise inner right. voice I like I, how I, you think we, I think we have to trust ourselves to make mistakes and course correct nobody has ever had a perfect career I mean everybody's had rejections or they've started a story and stuffed it in a drawer and said, yeah, that was a stupid idea. We've, we've all been there, but you, nothing happens until something moves. So don't be afraid to be messy. Don't be afraid to be, um, to, to, to get it wrong because you're going to, you're going to find your, you know, how many times does a baby fall down before they learn to walk? The falling down is part of the, of the walking. It's just, the beginning part of it. Writers fall down all the time. The writers that have been doing this for 20 years still fall down. You know, don't be afraid to make a mistake. It's not, you know, failure is not fatal. It's a learning experience. Well, and you know, I love the analogy of the baby because when they are first learning to walk, not only do they get back up, but they're like, oh, I, did I fall? Well, whatever. We're the ones flipping out. They're fine. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And they're just like, like, oh, well, okay, I got this. I can keep going. And that 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 enthusiasm and that wonder remains. But it seems like as we get a little bit older, there's that, oh, but I got hurt last time. Do I really want to do that? Well, and, and here's the other thing that happens. People tell them to be afraid. Oh, don't do that. You'll fall down. You'll break your leg. You'll burn yourself. They're constantly being told all the bad things that can happen. And they start thinking, e. same thing happens to writers all the time. Oh, you're going to starve to death. You're never going to make, what if you, oh, if you get an agent and they steal your book. And I mean, there's a million nightmare stories out there that never happen. Um, so it's that same thing. It's like, sometimes you just got to go down there, go out there and be willing to take a tumble a little bit. And and then you learn, hey, I fell down and I did not die. <laughs> I got more paper. I can start another book. I can find a new story. But I I love that because that also retains that enthusiasm and that joy that you had all along, you know, and that you're just going back to that center, that that truth for you and saying, okay, what else can I do? What How else can I explore this for myself? And, you know, so you've written 10 I am on number nine right now. I'm writing number nine right now and just signed a two book deal for nine and 10. First off, that is awesome. Congratulations on the deal. That is very cool. So what is that like when you sign the deal for multiple, for multiple books and you're in the process of writing, does, what helps you to stay grounded in that? Because there's an element of enthusiasm of, oh my gosh, this is great. And then the the other side could be the voice of, oh my gosh, will I have enough ideas? Will it deliver? Will it be what I envision it to be? There can be two different types of pressure. How do you navigate through that? Um, again, it, it comes for me with trusting, I don't know what you call it, the muse. I mean, I have been blessed when I get a book idea, it feels like it's not mine. It feels like a gift. And it lands, like literally lands on me. 
like fully formed, boom. I got one idea while I was cleaning the toilet. Um, just whole thing in my head, one minute not there, next minute there. Like the one I told you when I was driving and then that idea. Uh, so they usually, many books come to me while in the car. Um, so it terrifies me to think that I would have to go out there and actually think of my own plot line. Like the gift wouldn't come and I would have to. <laughs> so I, and I had, funny enough, I had an idea for number nine and I did not have an idea for 10. Everybody's saying, oh, just do a sequel to one of yours. It's easy. Uh, easy's not my thing. So I wanted something clever and all of us you know something a little different all of my books are a little different than the one before so this next this suddenly this idea came to me and I was like oh that's I might be able to do something with that but I have no idea what put it on this burner back burner and then lo and behold I'm doing research for book nine and I come across an article that I don't even know why it showed up in my Google search, but there it was. And I'm like, oh, wow, there it is. So, or at least a big chunk of it. So that's going with this piece. So um, you just kind of have to, again, the faith thing, have faith that when you need the idea, it will be there. And sort of like, I goose my subconscious mind all the time and say, I'd, I'd like a new idea. Anytime you're ready to drop something on me, I'm, I'd be good with that. Even if I'm working on something, I have room for ideas. So hopefully something, you whoosh, I get one of those. And I, I did, I've gotten two thirds of the whole whoosh. So I, I need to wait for the third thing so that then I will have book 10, but it's always exciting. I also think it's very easy to come up with ideas for the next book while you're sort of flailing a little bit on the book you're working with now, the next book always seems so much easier, so much more intriguing than the problem in front of you. So, um, but they, it comes, it comes. And yes, there's always the OMG moment. Like I only have 10 months to write this book. Uh, but, it, but again, I've always, I've written through some family catastrophes and things and I still get it done. I, my husband is a huge help in that, but you, you find the balance and you learn not to take yourself too seriously. I mean, you know, I'm not Hemingway. The world is not waiting with bated breath. This is, it's something it's entertainment. I, my writers, my readers are lovely, lovely, impatient people. They would love me to write a book every six months. So you just, you have to trust yourself that when you need the ideas they'll be there and not 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 again not trying to bullet point all the way out to knowing exactly how something's going to happen take one step in faith and know that the next step you will be able to see where you're going you know i love how you've described that and knowing that you write in historical fiction and like in, even with one of the books with the, like the dual timelines where you have something set in 1940 and the next timeline is in 1980 there's elements of there's a there's plotting that needs to be happening there's research that is happening to be appropriate in the area in the timing in all the those nuances but yet you're allowing space for inspiration to happen while you're sitting in said time area how do you how do you blend when you're moving back and forth between time you know 
two different timelines. How do you blend that as well as keeping that space open for those, that next step? Well, all of my books are dual timeline because I, I just love that format. I'm a big believer. I think because I, I have, um, a lineage of very strong women in my background and everything I am, all of my traditions, all my beliefs, I can trace them back through all of the generations and how, how they came to me. And it, it, a lot of my books deal with generational issues and how the past informs the present. So I always look for a common thread. And I think it's easier than we think because deep down, there's nothing new under the sun. My mother went through the same thing that her mother did and then her grandmother did. Maybe it looked a little different, but thematically that same arc, character arc that my grandmother went through, my mother went through, and now I go through. And I think I think that's, um, that makes it easier to sew the, the pieces back together. Um, I always try to use the, the emotional theme to pull the reader from a 1940 to 1984 um, so that it's very clear that we've switched timelines, but we have not completely jumped the shark and we're in a whole nother emotional space. The emotional space is, is I try to keep it very similar so that that 1940 piece sort of informs the 1984 piece. That makes so much sense. And I, but I also hear everything that you were, we had talked about before, how that all is filtering in because the idea hits maybe in some research and then even if it might not be sure where it shows up yet, let me capture it. So I don't lose it. And you can always, it will show up where it's supposed to. It really it it, is. And it's oftentimes it's not where you thought it was going to be, but all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I can't use that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I can use that, but it needs to be over here. And before that, I need to plant the seed and then it works and boom. So that nugget was useful, just not the way I immediately thought it would be. So nothing's ever wasted. It, yeah. It'll show up in another part of the story or in another book or as a, oh crap, don't do that again. <laughs> but nothing's ever wasted. Even our even our mistakes are, are learning pieces, I think. Oh, absolutely. Barbara, you are amazing. Thank oh. you so much for being on this show. Where can people connect with you? Where can they get your books? Where can they find out when book nine and book 10 release? I mean, how do they connect with you? Uh, my Facebook is a Barbara Davis author. Uh, you can find me there and follow me there. Or my website is barbaradavis-author.com because there are at least three Barbara Davis authors. Um, and the easiest place to find my books is Amazon. If you go to my author page, you can see all of the books and, and just read a little bit about each of the books. And my next book comes out March 28th, which I'm very excited about. It's called The Echo of Old Books. And it's sort of a literary mystery slash romantic whodunit. Ooh, that I sounds- in a rare bookstore again, 40s and 80s. Um, so genera generational things happening. So I'm very excited about that. Awesome. That does sound really exciting. 
Barbara, thank you so very much for being on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about Tough Fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermilius.com forward slash tough fish.